What's up, guys? Welcome to the Badass Asian Dudes podcast. My name is Victor Ung, and we have here as our guest, Jason Shen. I'm super excited for uh, our conversation here. Um, I also have my other co-hosts, Sabo Shen and Brandon Chin. Uh, you guys want to say hi? Hey, what's up, everybody? What's up, Badass Asian Dudes? What's up? What's up? And Jason, say say quick little hi. What's going on? Glad to be on here. This is gonna be a lot of fun. Yes, um, I'm excited, super excited personally to get this podcast started again um, from from Chris Kim earlier, who had founded this, and super grateful for what he started in this community. And um, we're all excited now to kind of take this on and and continue the conversation, especially around these deeper topics about. Um, Asian American identity, about masculinity, about entrepreneurship, about living your own life, about emotional intelligence, and all these things. So, um, super excited to get in here. Uh, I guess I'll I'll just start with you, Jason. Do you want to maybe quickly introduce yourself and uh, and what you've been working on for those who don't know you? Sure. Yeah. So my name is Jason Chen. I am a first generation Chinese American immigrant. I was born in Suzhou, China. I moved to the United States when I was three years old. I grew up in a suburb of Boston and uh, spent most of my childhood there. I uh, spent about nine years in the SF Bay Area uh, in college and ran working and moved to New York in 2014, where I've been living ever since. I live in Brooklyn now with my wife, uh, Amanda uh, King Bodipakia. She is Thai and Indonesian, and uh, we've been married just over a year. We just celebrate our one-year anniversary. Um, I am, uh, you know, I've been an entrepreneur for a lot of my life. I've started three companies, uh, three technology companies. The last one was acquired by Facebook, uh, actually pretty recently. And I will be um, starting as a product manager at Facebook on Monday. So it's pretty uh, exciting times, you know, really grateful for the opportunity to have that, especially during the middle of a pandemic. And you know, this, this, you know, national conversation we're having about uh, race and Black Lives Matter right now. So um, just excited to be on here, excited to talk about uh, issues that are really important to me. And, you know, hopefully they're important to other Asian, Asian guys who are listening to this podcast. Yeah. And, you know, um, I- I'm glad you introduced yourself that way. We wanted everyone to know that you are truly a badass Asian dude. And one of the questions that we ask all of our guests is, you know, what is your definition of a badass Asian dude? Yeah, that's a great question. I think that, you know, being badass is really, you know, it's, it's a combination of breaking down barriers, breaking down um, expectations and kind of subverting them, you know, going against them and kind of living your own path. I think that's really important. Um, I have written a blog for many years called The Art of Ass-Kicking. And I think the same question is like, what does it mean to, what does ass-kicking mean? You know, it, does, it, you know, it can sound violent and bass can sound negative or, you know, criminal or hurtful. And, and it's really not meant in those ways, in my interpretation, it is about, um, you know, having courage, having the courage to kind of live your own path, um, you know, fighting for what you believe in and, um, you know, sort of, 
being a, a shield and a sort of protector for others, right? Like being strong is uh, an important uh, characteristic to me, but being strong for what? Not so that you can dominate other people, but the, so that you can hold space for other people and bring other people along with you in whatever it is that you're doing. Oh man, beautiful answer. And you know, I, I've, I, you came on my radar uh, not because we have the same last name, but you have the Asian Asian American Male Project. Can you talk a little bit more about that? That's right. Yeah. So, you know, I should have mentioned that in my bio, but um, I uh, started a project called the Asian American Man Study. Um, and I, you know, have been advocating for Asian Americans and especially Asian American men since um, 20, I want to say 2015 is when we started collecting the data from the survey and it published in 2016. We've run three of these surveys, um, and you know, you know, more than a thousand Asian men have contributed their responses. East, Southeast, and South uh, Asian American men uh, talking about you know their experiences with race, their identity, dating, work, um, you know, stereotypes, media representation, and other topics that I think are really important. You know, and I think it came from the story of that came from the fact that um, I was have I had a friend who uh, was a doctor and had just gotten out of a relationship uh, who was, you know, Asian American and he was out on the dating scene and he was struggling. And I mean, this is a guy, you're a doctor in New York City, like you should be just doing great. And he had this doctor friend of his who was white, who was, you know, getting a lot of messages, a lot of responses, not particularly good looking. And he was kind of finding that frustrating. He was also finding it frustrating that at work, people were stereotyping him and presuming that, you know, he was good at math and, and, you know, yeah. a lot of these things that um, people perceived of him. And he's like a pretty outgoing guy, but when he was in his past relationship, he was a little bit more quiet. And so um, people sort of saw him as like this quiet stoic guy, just because he was taking on some of those characteristics and that's not really him. But, you know, I think that was additionally put on him because he's Asian and so, you know, he encouraged me to actually write about the Asian man experience. And mm. I, that was a challenge to me. And I actually started the survey as almost like sort of a diversion, a sort of like sidestep. It's like, hey, you should write about this. And I said, and you write about a lot of other topics, why don't you do this? And I actually kind of dodged it and spent a couple of years collecting all this data because I was afraid to just say my own experience or to talk about this experience that other men have. Um, and you know, when I realized that was happening, I've taken a step back from just collecting data and I, you know, I've written op eds, I, I give talks on this topic. Um, and I, you know, I go to companies and, and share some of the research, but also some of the stories. And so I think the, I've heard from a lot of Asian men that, you know, they really appreciate that there are people out there talking about this and I want them to talk about it too. But step one is sort of like modeling that behavior, showing people that that's something that they can do, that it's possible for you to do. Yeah, no, that's super. I, I remember you talking about that in one of our first uh, bad social hours that your survey, um, getting other data points, you know, about what are the first like kind of roadblocks and limiters for people and actually surveying that so that people don't feel like they're the only ones experiencing that, especially in your own identity. Cause that story is very common where, a lot of guys feel like, oh, I, I, there must be something off with me being an Asian American man because everyone else is kind of feeling success in different realms. What, what's, what's with me? 
And yeah, yeah, I think it's really validating to kind of have other people sort of affirm that it's like, it's not just you, you know, it's not just uh, you're alone and like something's wrong, right? Because if you experience something strange in the world, it's, you know, the sort of natural thing is either there's something wrong with me or, you know, there's something wrong with the world. But if doesn't see, if everyone else is acting like there's nothing wrong with the world, then, you know, um, then there must be something wrong with me. Right. And when you sort of encounter that and, and, and you know, people who are different in any way, uh, whether it's a racial minority, uh, women or, you know, other types of uh, folks who, who don't feel like they're just the mainstream, whatever, um, it's important for them to kind of connect with each other, swap stories, help to clarify, like, what's really me and what's really like, hey, all of us or many of us experience these things. Um, you know, for instance, you know, two thirds of Asian guys have heard someone say to their face, I don't date Asian men. That's a pretty aggressive, antagonistic thing to, to have someone say to you, right? And that's, totally. that's off-putting. It's, uh, it's kind of negatively, it, it, you know, it reflects negatively on you. And if you think you're the only one who's ever had that experience, then it can feel very personal that that, that is like a personal attack on you uh, when it's really sort of this umbrella um, vibe, negative vibe that is out there in society. Yeah, I wanted to ask about how the, so for a couple things, I wanted to ask about your, your personal experience, you know, growing up having this type of knowledge about Asian American identity and how you've maybe kind of grappled with that or obstacles that you might have faced too. But also before we get into that, um, I'm curious, like since writing that article or that doing that study back in 2015, what kind of like changes or, or um, differences or maybe insights have you seen in the last five years when it comes to um, those topics? Yeah, so um, in terms of the things that I've seen since you know, starting this work, one of the survey questions in our 2016, our you know, 2016 survey that was published in 2017 was about um, uh, who is the Asian American man you most admire? And, you know, the answers started with um, the top answer. And this is free write, so we didn't give options. You really had to come up with something. The first answer was, I don't know. I can't think of anybody. No one comes to mind, which is obviously very disappointing. Then it was you know, a, f- a male family member, uh, your father, grandfather, uncle, brother, you know, which makes a lot of sense. Um, very personal. And then it was Bruce Lee, right? And I mean, Bruce Lee has this incredible legacy. He is uh, the guy, you know, you go to another country and you, you know, you're on the street, someone's gonna be like, Bruce, Bruce Lee? Yeah, you know, you're like, okay, yeah. You know, I, I see you're trying to make a connection here, you know, and I don't think you mean it antagonistically, but it's sort of like, that's what you got, right? And, um, and, you know, there's a, a, a lot of reasons to respect and admire Bruce Lee. He was, you know, uh, a total trailblazer. He was clearly a, a, a bad, a badass Asian dude, you know, on, in every sense of the word. Um, he, he really defined his own path, um, you know, writing his own scripts, like really fighting for, uh, to, to be an advocate. He was on TV shows. He had this philosophy. He came up with his own, you know, style of martial arts, he, you know, very man ahead of his time. And that's why he feels still so fresh and modern when you see the stuff he's saying and you see those YouTube 
clips. You're just like, he could fit right in. You could see him. He'd have a, you know, a, a really on fire Instagram where he'd like post clips of himself, like kicking something. And people would just like, he, people would be all over that. Right. And he, he was, he really understood that and he died young. Right. And that's always like a big factor. But, you know, I always say, like, you think about it. Uh, he still died in 73. That was like 50 years ago. You know, that is insane. That is so long ago. And we're still like that guy, that guy who died 50 years ago is still our like most, and which means that there's so little, you know, that has happened. Um, and I was asked this question recently in a, in a, in a, at a Nielsen talk where I was, you know, talking about some of this stuff. And I, and I do think that one of the things that's probably changed is that um, I bet Andrew Yang's big and up there now. You know, and, and Andrew Yang ran for president um, over the 2020 Democratic primary. Um, he didn't, you know, uh, he, he sort of made it quite far in a, in a field that was very crowded with a lot of people, governors, senators, Congress people, uh, you know, a vice president, all of that. He, he outlasted a lot of people and he sort of had a very unique platform, whereas a lot of people kind of had, you know, you've got. Um, Bernie, who obviously had a very explicit platform, you, you, you've got Warren, who's you know known known entities. And you got a lot of people who sort of had sort of some version of the same mix of of, of ideas. And, and he had a really clear, defined idea. Um, he he um, was able to sort of bring together a lot of people and be kind of a unifier. And he's just out there a lot. He's funny. He was fun. He really leverage the internet and memes and you know you don't have to be like oh i would vote for andrew yang i think he's the right, right person to be president to still recognize that like this guy you know defied all expectations defied what anybody thought he was going to be able to do and really put a stamp on i mean we can look at covid now and say that we all got these uh checks these just like covid checks just money just money sent to our you know bank accounts or in in the mail and it's you know in no small part due to the fact that andrew yang like cleared that uh made that thing something that was totally acceptable understandable and uh, as sort of like em embraced as a as a viable option so so i think uh, victor that's my short short but kind of long answer to your question you know things that have changed that's at least one Hey, you know, before you get into the second question, I was curious, yeah. you know, what, what was something in the surveys that was surprising to you? You know, something that, you know, you, you were expecting to see the data skew one way, but mm. it actually skewed another. So we'll, uh, we'll go back to um, some of this stuff. And I'm just going to pull this up real quick right here while we're talking so I can like make sure I'm uh, citing it right. Um, but, uh, you know, a lot of the people who taken our survey had, uh, you know, the most common answers that people had dated, and, you know, East Asian person, and a lot of the people were taking this for East Asian. Um, but 77% uh, of people had, taken, uh, had dated someone who was East Asian. 70% of people had dated someone who was white. Um, and, you know, that's actually uh, higher than I think a lot of people expected um, in terms of, who their partner was, um, you know, uh, again, like if you, not just dating, but like in a, in a serious relationship, a third of the people who responded were saying that their partners were white. 
So I think there is a, a sense that Asian men are like, oh, Asian women date white guys, but no, like Asian men only date other Asian women. But that's certainly not uh, not true, uh, at least according to this survey that uh, of, you know, the, this one had like 600 people completing it from all over the country. Uh, so, you know, that I think is an important uh, surprise. Um, and I'll say something else around work and career to kind of move it beyond that as well. I think that uh, one of the things that Asian men um, say uh, that most impacts their satisfaction. So we ask people like, how much do you like your work? Um, you know, and, you know, how happy are you with your job? Right. And like, what parts about your job do you like most? And the things that uh, made a difference, if you were to cite these three things as being, um, if you, these three things are the things you're the most happy with, that you're gonna be really satisfied with your career. Um, you know, we had things like compensation, work-life balance, prestige, fits my interests, you know, employability, job security. The top three things were, um, that made a bigger difference, like if you said it was, value, it was a part of your job, you're happy with and you're going to be happy with your job overall impact to society great colleagues and prestige was third and tied with uh, opportunity for growth so i think that oftentimes you know we're encouraged to go into careers because they're safe or you know you're secure or you're, you're you know you'll be paid well or you know they're prestigious and and yeah clearly prestige does matter um, but so do all these other things like that asian men care about and are going to be happier when their job feels like they make a difference on society, that they work with people who are good quality. You know, I don't think most people are given career advice by their parents, at least, that are just like, hey, work with, you know, work at a company where you really like the people you work with. That's not something that I think is that common and, and, and probably not that common career-wise in general. But I think uh, it's, it's a great reminder that uh, when you look at that, that's what's actually going to make you happy with your job. Yeah, that's really cool. And you you know, it's funny during your intro of yourself, you know, you you talked about how your current startup um, was acquired like uh, acquired by Facebook, and you almost said it like it was just something in passing, you know. But obviously, that's a very big deal for an entrepreneur, you know. Like, how 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 did that happen? And you know, did that provide you know the you know that is the end goal for many entrepreneurs a successful exit, you know. So, yeah. you know, how did you feel about that? And and what's next for you? Yeah. So, you know, when I think about my entrepreneurial journey, the first startup I, I did, I was in, I was 24. I was sort of like, it's like that kind of prototypical, like you're living with two other guys who are both tech in tech and like, Hey, like this is, this is so cool. Like, let's just do something together and kind of like, you don't know what you're doing and you just kind of like roll into it. And a lot of lucky things happened for us. We were able to rate, you know, get into a prestigious accelerator called Y Combinator. We were able to raise like a million, $1.2 million. And, and it was just like very sort of exhilarating, exciting. And you're also like, I have no idea what I'm doing. Does this make sense? Um, and that did not, you know, fully work out. We, we folded that company. It was a ride sharing business prior to Lyft and Uber. So I think there were certainly, we're onto something interesting, but we didn't kind of, play it out. Um, and then I went and worked uh, for a number of years in different jobs and different companies. And the second time I came around, I was like much more deliberate about it. I was much more intentional about it. I didn't get some like big early sort of like 
luck factors or, or like, you know, the way I explain it is the first company I was like, I was on a surfboard and I caught a wave and then I was riding that wave. And then when the rate wave ran out, I just like, there's nowhere to go. You just like go down to the water, right? Like the, you, you, you can't surf on it without a wave. Um, whereas the second, you know, time I, I entered entrepreneurship, it was like we were in a, a canoe or a kayak and you had to kind of like pull, you know, push your way through the water, but you could kind of direct the boat and you kind of knew where you were going and like, you know, you could feel your own energy pushing you forward. And so, you know, I started this B2B company and we kind of, um, and that grew for some point and then we decided we didn't want to continue to do that. So we sold that to a, a small company in our space. So that was a sort of minor exit. And then we sort of continued on in a totally different direction into gaming and esports and built out a company for, you know, in that realm. And I think we uh, launched a number of really promising uh, early products and none of them quite hit product market fit. Um, and then COVID hit and, you know, the world was just sort of like blowing up left and right. And, you know, we recognized that, you know, we were trying to fundraise and launch a new product, but at the same time being pragmatic enough to say, hey, you know, this may be a good time to try to uh, put the boat back to shore, right? We can keep keep going. There's another cave down there. We've looked at like five caves already, haven't found any treasure. There might be treasure in this next cave or, you know, there's a kind of a huge storm coming. Maybe we should, you know, put the dock, the boat, put it ashore and sort of take that for what it is. And so we sort of put feelers out and we were, you know, lucky enough to have conversations with a number of, of companies like um, Brex, like Twitch, like um, Coinbase, and ultimately, you know, an introduction to someone at Facebook that uh, really liked what, like our team um, and, you know, Facebook and all these companies are now trying to work remote. And onboarding is such a huge thing, especially at Facebook, especially these big companies where they spend, you know, weeks having you in person, like doing all these things in person, inculcating you into the culture, making sure you're going to like jive with everybody um, to say, hey, here are three people who have launched a number of things together, have done that successfully, who can operate independently, remotely, take initiative, like each other, they could add a lot of value to our company, right? And, and so, you know, to see that through to completion is really meaningful. Um, and as you said at the top, and, you know, just to make explicit, like you get into entrepreneurship and you raise money because you're trying to br bring a 10, 100x return, right? Like it's about exponential growth, exponential opportunity. You know, startups are like the lottery for smart people, right? You are definitely playing against long odds. And, you know, the reason why you do this is because you believe in the ability that technology can enhance something and make it so, just so, um, so huge. And, you know, it doesn't happen a lot of the time. Even companies that raise, you know, millions of dollars, you know, fail more often than not. Um, and so for us, we didn't raise that much capital. So I think, you know, that was, uh, this is a really big win for me. And, and, it, and it, you know, I, I had a friend who recently got tenure at his, uh, at his um, uh, professor position, right? And, you know, I emailed him and I was like, congratulations, let's connect. And, and I realized that in a way, like this job is like, sort of a version of that like the entrepreneurial journey it's it's main, maybe not like the huge like lottery like you know winning the lottery is winning the lottery now you can just do whatever you can do anything you know you can kind of just like drive off to the sunset like i still got to work i still got to eat when you're a tenured professor it's not like you can stop publishing you can stop 
you know, but there's a certain, I, I was, uh, I was, and have been a hungry, you know, just like, I, I don't have anything made for me, you know, like I got to get out there. I got to eat. I got to like hunt. And, you know, I'm not, I'm, you know, married now I'm in, in sort of entering this new phase of my life. And this is like, I have this baseline level of security. Doesn't mean I can't, I can stop working. I can just goof off and whatever, but it is, uh, you know, meaningful to me that I've been able to sort of create the ex- some economic opportunity for myself and my family and my team. I I love that. I hear I hear a lot of you know uh, resilience and adaptability within all that. You know, and that that was kind of the question I want to form around yeah. here. Is you know, it sounds like entrepreneurship uh, and and even just living your life in with more intention in a more general sense does require this like perfect combination or dance between resiliency and adaptability or perseverance and 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 going with the flow um because it sounds like you've gone through and done so many different pathways and different routes uh i guess for you personally what what type of um, emotional obstacles or maybe beliefs or things that you kind of had to push through yeah. uh, on a more personal basis through all those transitions? Yeah. So I think, you know, we can start, we can go back a little bit because I know you asked a little bit about my childhood and I think we can tie this together. Um, I was a really active kid growing up. So I've always had a lot of energy and, you know, at some point that was you know, seen as maybe being, you know, ADD, ADHD, you know, I was briefly put on medication and realizing that, you know, I was, one thing we haven't talked too much about is my gymnastics career. I was, I started training in gymnastics when I was six, partly as an outlet to just get out the excess energy. Um, I started competing um, when I was eight, when I was 11, I started competing nationally. Uh, When I was 15, I made the U.S. junior national team. And I was, uh, you know, competed for the Sanford men's gymnastics team and won a national championship with that team as captain. So that was sort of like a great culmination of that career. And I think sports played a role in helping me understand how to channel my energy, how to, um, this is under, under appreciated, but I think it taught me how to, uh, sort of these, uh, stereotypically masculine jocular, you know, attitude and mindset especially in college right and you you might call it broy uh you know a lot of the asian friends that i had a lot of asian friends in high school and you know we interact just fine we played video games we like you know we're in the honors classes together it's all that kind of stuff but then gymnastics kind of like you know taught me and when you see a certain kind of man and like you know i i sort of am um, many beliefs here like you know whether or not this is okay you know the sort of code switch effectively right there's a code switch goes on and then you're like hey man what's oh dude yeah total you know and you're back slapping and shoulder you know and there's this like and i don't want to sound like it's fake like i'm comfortable and i'm not like i don't think this is like yes you know it but like there is you see a lot of asian men who sort of uh you know only studied or only did certain types of extracurriculars and they feel they could tell that they're very uncomfortable in that kind of environment or they stick out in that kind of environment and 
you know, no one's going to be able to fit in every environment. But I think when we're talking about masculinity and you're talking about the Western culture, you're talking about these, um, how you sort of make your way, like learning to sort of work in that system without, you know, and I think that the, the culture in a college team did have some toxic elements, especially the way we treated women, the way we talked about women, the way we talked about, uh, you know, sexual conquest. I think that was negative and, and harmful to women and to my mindset. Um, but I think that understanding that there are men who do this, who expect this and, and sort of allowing, you know, making sure that you don't seem like a completely alien to that world is is going to be important so so i think those are some of the aspects i think uh around being asian american i think that um you know again sports and building myself physically was important you know i think every uh man should should engage in fitness and engage in strengthening and you know making their body more powerful but i think that um it was my mindset for a long time was like there are all these negative stereotypes about Asian men. I kind of understood that from a young age, but if I can defy all of them by being, you know, really, you know, Asian guys are, are skinny and weak. I'm going to be really strong. Asian guys are like, you know, timid and shy. I'm going to be really outgoing, be the life of the party, you know, Asian guys, you know, whatever it is, I'm going to be the opposite. I'm going to be that, you know, most guys are the CTO of their, co- I'm going to be the CEO of my company, right? Like, but you do all those things and you you can't like break out of it right like that those things are going to exist for all of us and and to act like if you you're the exception to the rule like in your special and like other you know other people you know black people talk about this women talk about this oh I'm just one of the guys like if I can just do that it's you know it's still not the same right and so that's where the advocacy work becomes so important because even if you do that for yourself you're not helping anybody else. You're just the special one and everyone else is, you know, it almost makes it worse because you're kind of like pushing people away to, to define the difference between you and them rather than saying like, hey, no, Asian guys can just be that. It's not like I'm special. We're all, you know, many of us are like this and that's just the deal. I'm just one of them, you know, and, and that's a very different attitude to have. And I think that that shift only happened more recently um, for me and, and, and why I think this kind of work is so important. Yeah, you know, what's interesting about that, Jason, is, you know, you talked about, you know, kind of doing all those things, you know, like, okay, if Asians are known as skinny and weak, I'll become big and strong. Or if we're known as like timid and quiet, I'll be outspoken. And that really resonates with me because, you know, I did a lot of those things in order to, you know, buck the trend and buck the stereotype. And, you know, more recently, I started having these realizations that, man, I've done a lot of these things, like really being outspoken. But, you know, deep down, I started realizing like, oh, wait, that's actually Sabo that wants to buck the trend. What Sabo actually wants to do is kind of sit in the back and chill out, you know, like I don't really need to be vocal. And I was kind of curious, you know, have you kind of noticed in yourselves like different behaviors that have changed as you kind of become more mature and aware that some of the operating system is based on proving other people wrong versus what does Jason Shen actually want to do? Yeah. Yeah. I think that's really, that's a great point. Like, um, you know, I think that 
before I started uh, dating the woman who had become my wife, I, you know, my dating sort of persona was like, you know, always looking out for like cool things that were happening in the city. So you always had like cool date ideas to kind of like, that's like part of your value that you're bringing to the table. So like, oh, this is interesting. This is unique. This is cool. Always sort of being on in, in, on, in your date and like always being funny and being like interesting and being like active in a certain way. And, um, you know, one of the things that, and that was partly because you're kind of like meeting people on dating apps or just like at a bar and you sort of like have to kind of like really lead aggressively uh, to kind of like get things going. But um, one of the things that I've, um, my, my wife and I, we, we, were, we, we met at a company that we we're both working at. We were working on the same team. We were with other people. So it was purely a professional relationship that then became a friendship. Um, and then when we both left the company and we both left the people we were with and we worked on a side project together, we started to get each, you know, each other more and, and there's a little more intimacy there. And then kind of from there, we started dating. But because of that, because we kind of like interact with each other from a different level where we weren't trying to like impress each other, or like make each other think we're a certain way. We were just like, oh, I'm not trying to date you. I'm just, I'm just going to say what I think. Like, I'm just, you're just my friend. I'm just going to say this or like be like this. There was a level of comfort there. And, you know, as, you know, we've gotten closer and we get married, like you get your own little vibe of like just real goofy, like funny, like silly mentality. And, and you know, I think, say what you've talked about this with being um, a dad, right? Like in a dad of two girls, like you tap into your feminine side and you kind of do stuff that you're like, oh man, if someone like took a video of me doing this, I'd be kind of embarrassed maybe, but like not really, because I'm just like, I'm with my wife having fun. Like you're with your daughters having fun. Like that's just what you do. You like ride around, you dance, like you, you do silly shit. Like that's just, I don't need to like impress anyone or prove anything to anybody. Like we're just doing that. Right. Cause we like it. Cause it's fun. Um, and I've learned over time that like other people appreciate that. Like I recently went through this whole exercise where as, as partly as preparation for this new job, like I, it's called the reflective best self exercise. And you actually go, there's a Harvard business review article about it. I can send you a link, but you go and you talk to people that you've worked with or colleagues or friends and family members. And you ask them like, what are my unique strengths? What are things that like I do well that are sort of special or rare and you know what came out for a couple of different people was like this combination of like openness and confidence like you know compassion and and outspokenness or like this willing to be authentic willing to be vulnerable which often means willingness to look stupid willingness to like be wrong right and that that's okay that you don't have to like always be right always be on top always be whatever and in fact people are going to respect you more when you can kind of bring that uh, vibe because they're like, hey, if I do something stupid or I do something silly, he's not going to sort of get on my case about it or just like rip me because first of all, I have all this stuff on him. So clearly he can't, you know, like I, I can say whatever, but, but also because like he doesn't take it so seriously. Right. And I think that that's, um, that's one thing that I think that I value. Yeah. Well, so what's something stupid that you've done? that maybe it was hard for you to actually like get past, you know, the, the judgment that you might project onto yourself or maybe the other people might project onto you. Yeah. Um, you know, one of the things that happened with my last company with the, the company I started when I was 24 was that um, 
we raised this money, we, we worked on this business, something changed in the market and we had to like make this big pivot and we couldn't sort of make the, uh, the decision on what to do next. And we sort of agonized over it and debated over it. And at some point, you know, um, I was getting kind of like sick of like, we just kept arguing, not like not in a negative way, but just in a like, we're not doing anything, we're just talking. And that was like months. And, you know, I sort of was the first to like leave. I saw this opportunity to serve as a fellow under uh, the Obama administration to bring tech folks inside the government. And so I applied it almost as a long shot, like who knows if this will happen. And then like I got it and I was like, actually, this is really exciting to actually do something that's going to help people instead of the last six months, we haven't done anything. We've just like sat around, paid ourselves like our investors money and did nothing, you know, not nothing, nothing, but like, uh, we haven't produced anything tangible. And then so we had that conversation and eventually the company disbanded and then we, we gave money back to investors. And, you know, um, when I went to raise my money for my new venture, I found out that one of our previous investors like was really negative about that, that what, that we did that. Right. And they kind of like felt like we gave up that we quit that even with money in the bank, you know, we sort of, didn't appreciate what we had and we sort of like wasted that opportunity and like we're not go-getters and we're not tough and like I had always like kind of thought maybe you know a lot of people to your face would be like oh that was like really awful thing to do and then to hear that kind of like reopened up that insecurity of like oh did I quit like did I you know maybe a real entrepreneur would have just like powered through that or been like hey you know fuck you guys we're gonna do this and like I'm taking over now and like I don't know. Like, I don't even know what, what, you know, what it was, was supposed to happen. Right. I just knew that I really respected these two other guys and I really wanted to do something that we had started this company together with like fully on board. And, um, the fact that, uh, we couldn't get to something we're all fully on board with was meant that I wasn't, you know, prepared to kind of like, you know, do anything else. And, and, you know, we, uh, you know, we're still friends. We've been at each other's weddings. Like that's rare. Like a lot of, founder relationships fall apart, especially under stress. So, so I think that it took some time for me to sort of, you know, re understand that and just say like, you know what, I disagree with him. You know, he's entitled to have that opinion. He's entitled to fund founders that he thinks would operate in a certain way that that isn't my way. Uh, there's lots of investors out there. There's lots of money out there. You don't have to be right for every investor. In fact, you only have to be right for a handful of investors. Um, and, and that's all that really matters. Right. And so I think it did take some time though. It did feel like that was like a wound that like I thought I'd healed and then it reopened up and then you had to like fully patch it. Right. Yeah. So thanks for sharing, um, all of that, especially the leading with openness and, uh, vulnerability. Cause I think that seems to be the gem coming from you. That's just your, your vibe is just, you're open and confident, but you're also like, yeah, I didn't do things the way that I had planned. And I think that's a really important message for a lot of the guys who, or even girls who may be listening to this is that you don't have to do it right all the time to be confident. That's not what confidence is about. It's about just giving your darndest and ruining the canoe. If you've got to get to the shore or, you know, knowing when to sail and be like, yeah, this is the time to sail. Um, and, uh, I know that we blew through a lot of things right there in a the conversation and I just wanted to leave you a few minutes to say anything to close up, you know, your, your stories or anything you want to leave these badass Asian dudes with just one thing that they can walk away with 
plus your story. Yeah, I'm. So these days, I've been thinking a lot about resilience, um, and you know, that's something we sort of talked about: resilience and adaptability. And in this current time and sort of foreseeable future, we all, you know, can benefit, myself included, from as more, you know, developing more resilience for ourselves because you know we're facing a lot of uncertainty and a lot of just like you know change that is hard right and um i encourage uh, everyone who's listening to this to really see this this time is sort of it is a national crisis and an international crisis a global crisis uh as an opportunity to kind of reset reset your expectations reset your goals reset like there's a lot of like my life is supposed to go this way my life is supposed to be this. I'm supposed to have done this by now, own a house, sell a company, start a company, be promoted, you know, be married, have kids, like whatever it is. Like, you know, I think of this as like, um, we were on this uh, universe. There's one universe where COVID didn't hit and a bunch of things are going to happen. And we're on the alternate timeline. We're on the new timeline now. You know, we're on the COVID timeline and like stuff has been diverted. But like, that's a chance for you to be like, you know what, given all this and given this new environment, like, why not do what you really want to do? And why not? And recognize that like, things may not play out the way you expect and you may set out with a new intention and, and that may not go the way you expect, but just like, that's okay, right? Like life is so weird like that. And, and we have both a lot of control over our own choices and our own how we react to things that happen but we also have so little control over the outcome you know one of the things you learned in gymnastics because you get a score right and you get a score and you can't force anybody to give you any score you want right like you do the best performance you can and then it's totally in the judge's hands and if the judge hates you judge hates you know uh this kind of move and don't, judge hates that you can't do anything you just literally cannot do anything about that you can only do the best performance you can do the best training you can put it up and then you know the score is the score right and so and i think that outcomes driven mentality can be very uh, uh destructive and 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 hurtful and 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 you know i struggled with this too with the startup it was like i for a while it's like this startup has to work the first one didn't work and the story has to be that the, the, then i started a second one that one worked or else like was it me i just started one and i started another one and then it didn't and none of them were like that's just a lose that's just a story of a loser you know and like but you you can't think that way you can't control the outcome so you have to just sort of like work with uh what you've got focused on pr producing the best that you can out of the situation that you have and being grateful because things can definitely be worse i don't have covid none of my family members have covid you know i work in a industry that's been more insulated from some of these things compared to like fitness or retail or, you know, food and, and a lot of people's life's dreams have been shattered because of this. And so be grateful what you have. It can always be worse and develop that resilience and mindset uh, for, for this alternate timeline that we're living in. Oh man. I love that. I love that. I, I especially, I love that you finished with the gratitude and, you know, you also talked about not being outcome based and, you know, like you, I've been, I've been involved in many startups and fortunately for me, like a lot of them had really great outcomes until I started my own startup. Then I was like, oh man, like what is wrong with me? You know? And ultimately what I've come to realize is that, um, you know, the outcome is important. You know, obviously I have investors and fiduciary responsibilities, but I always look at our trajectory and if our trajectory is going in the right direction, 
you know, that's a big enough win for me. And I'm just making sure that we just grow it. And like you, you know, like I had these ideas of what a successful exit would be, you know, nine figure exit, 10 figure exit. And I started really thinking, well, like does nine or 10 figures, how, what will that actually change for me? You know, like I could see more material things be acquired, but I don't see like myself fundamentally having like different ideas of I'm more successful because it was a larger exit. And I think once I started switching my mindset, you know, I was able to enjoy work more and just put more of myself into it. So I really appreciated that you shared all that for people that are interested in finding you and, um, you know, seeing some of the writings that you talked about, what's the best way to get in touch with Jason Shen? Yeah. Um, the two things that I would say is I'm on Twitter. Uh, you can follow me at Jason Shen. And then I've got this newsletter that I do called Making Connections. It's a weekly newsletter that goes out on Saturdays. It collects like three to five ideas that are something in between tech, fitness, product thinking, culture, you know, personal development. It's all kind of like mixed up in there. And I do some illustration work, so it's kind of fun. And you can find that at jasonshen.substack.com. It's also in my Twitter bio, so pretty easy to find. Um, but yeah, that's, you know, would love to hear from folks who add, um, something that they connected with on this podcast. Oh, man. Well, hey, do you guys have any last words for Jason before we sign off? Sometimes you just got to park that canoe. <laughs> just park don't want to park the canoe, man. Put it in. <laughs> just put it in. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'll tell you this. I'm signing up for the newsletter, guys. All those I things that Substack you talked right about. Now. Yeah, yeah, they're right in kind of like my own set of like interests as well. And man, I'm so glad that we finally got a chance to meet and talk. You know, I loved hearing the story, you know, like I kind of knew what you did on a surface level, but after speaking with you and kind of getting a little bit more nuances to the stories, I feel much more connected with what you're doing and really appreciate you coming on. Yeah, and, and I just want to say that like, thank you all for the leadership that you're bringing to the Badass Asian Dudes community. I think, you know, we, we've got a, a real significant number of guys who are here now and um you know i think you bringing this focus on positivity on growth mindset on you know being the best uh man you can be in your own sort of uh on your own terms is just so healthy and and uh i i'm i know it's a lot of work so i appreciate it a lot awesome. thanks for being a part of it jason you're part of this puzzle piece too man so yeah Dude, you, you kept that page alive while I was gone, you know, like I, I would still see you posting in there and just going, oh man, at least Jason's still posting in there. And then finally, when Chris asked us to take over, you know, like I was very happy that you were still in the group so that we could rebuild the group into something that was more yeah. positive versus a negative place that it I was had no to. idea. I had no idea that that was going on behind the scenes and like now i, I kind of get it but like even then like you guys do such a good job that i don't see the like bad bad stuff you know i'm just like i just see like what's remained you know and you're like well there was something probably here but i don't exactly know what it is but okay <laughs> yeah yeah so cool cool well, hey thank you again and i know uh, yeah. you have that dinner party to go to so please uh <laughs> You know, I know Dinner how the wives two, are yeah. always waiting for us husbands. So, Love yeah. It. Thank All you right. Again. Take care, guys. Be well. Hey. Talk soon.